Welcome to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. We want to encourage, equip, and connect those with a passion to impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. Student ministry can be a lonely place. You might even feel like you're the only one in your church or community that cares about students. Well, know this, you're not alone. People all across the country are engaging Gen Z and care deeply about the spiritual direction of these young men and women. Whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, or volunteer, if you have a heart for students, this is the place for you. Welcome again to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. My name is Dan Carson, and I've got with me my friend and co-host, Chris Vines. Hey, Dan. It's good to be back with you, my friend. Hey, Chris. It is closing in on the end of summer, and so I know it has been miserably hot here in northwest Arkansas. What's it been like in Hope? Uh, is there a double miserably? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I been, thought you might it's say. It's been hot, man. It's been hot everywhere. Well, and then you went to, did you go to Gary, Texas for national camp at any point? I went to Gary, Texas for one night. I, I got to go down there and help. Well, not help. I just, I got to just be a part of their closeout uh, night for all of their staff and workers. Gary, Texas is where our national camp is, but it is definitely hot. And then you also have to avoid the fire ants. And so, man, it's, it's hard. It's hard. On today's podcast, we have a special guest. I'm super excited to have him on here. We'll be sharing about him in just a moment. Uh, but we want to talk about our podcast partner. That's Central Baptist College of Conway. Central Baptist College is engaging, inspiring. It's challenging. It's all those things that your students might be looking for in a small Christian college. And so we encourage you to reach out to them at cbc.edu. They're gearing up for their fall semester. And so I know that the staff is anxious to reach out to those high school juniors and seniors. And so if you have any questions, be sure and reach out again at cbc.edu. Well, on today's podcast, we're going to be talking with Dr. Sam Rayner. Uh, Dr. Rayner serves as president of Church Answers and is co-founder of Rayner Publishing. He's also lead pastor of West Bradenton Baptist Church in Bradenton, Florida, he writes, teaches, speaks, and consults on a variety of church health issues. Sam co-hosts the popular podcast Rainer on Leadership and EST.Church. Sam holds a BS in finance and marketing from the University of South Carolina, an MA in missiology from Southern Seminary, and a PhD in leadership studies at Dallas Baptist University. Sam, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well, thank you, Dan. It's always a pleasure to join on your show. Uh, and I'm glad to hang out with you and Chris today. Well, today we're going to talk about marks of a successful student ministry. I wanted some insight from Sam as he deals with church answers and hears from pastors and just sees a broader picture than we might in our limited scope. Um, but before we do that, we want to get to know you a little bit better, Sam, and help our listeners know you. And so, the way I love for us to start is talking about our salvation experience. And so how did you come to know Jesus? Well, I have a very specific memory. I, I wish I have the date. So for those of you who are parents listening in, student pastors, this is good advice for your church. When a child comes to faith or a student comes to faith, write the date down. Um, when you baptize your... I mean, now we've got photos and everything, and everything's kind of time and date stamped you know, through social yeah. media. Uh, and you get those memories that pop up in Facebook and all of that. But those things did not exist when I accepted Christ somewhere around seven or eight years old, uh, which 
sounds terrible that I would say somewhere around seven or eight, but that, <laughs> that's, that's when it was. And uh, my very specific memory, my parents obviously um, had been sharing the gospel, very Christ-centered, you know, gospel-fueled home. Um, you know, my dad was a pastor. So it's, it's something that I, I grew up in the church. And my specific memory is it was at Hopewell Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, while my dad was in seminary. And I remember feeling the prompting of the Spirit. Now, I wouldn't have said it that way as like sure, a seven-year-old, sure. but I remember feeling something. And I remember making that decision very intentionally. I, this is a decision I have to make. And that, that was just what was in my head. I, and I was as I was walking down the aisle, it was an altar call um, style service. And as I walked down that aisle, I remember thinking, you know, I'm, I'm walking, I'm not really walking to my earthly father. I'm walking to my heavenly father. And my dad was there greeting me, obviously. And, you know, for a seven or an eight year old, that was a very big leap. But uh, I think my dad had been expecting it. He, he, as a father can probably tell, I mean, he was, look with my children now, I can kind of tell when they're, you know, really getting close to accepting Christ. But it was my decision. And I remember thinking, as I was walking down that aisle, this is a decision I have to make. And that's the that's the memory that I have. I, was, I think I was baptized the following week. and uh, But I remember my dad kind of like tearing up and I remember thinking, why is he crying? Um, but uh, it was tears of joy, clearly. Uh, but that's, that's, um, that's my salvation experience, if you will. That's uh, clearly my testimony is much broader than just Sure. One, one event, but that's the that's the particular memory in my brain. I remember that day for me in a little church in Potosi, Missouri. But I, I remember people crying, and I just couldn't figure that out. In my young brain. Now I know it's tears of joy. But at that time, it was like, what is happening? Did I make? Did I do something? <laughs> and so, uh, well, I know that you, of course, grew up in a, a pastor's home. Uh, Tom Rainer is your father. Let me ask, during your high school years, your teenage years, who was investing in your life? Who was that person that maybe jumped out and had said, okay, maybe you need to follow God in, in ministry or just serve him in a deeper way? Well, I, you know, I had um, a really good childhood in the church. So Azalea Baptist in St. Petersburg, Florida, was kind of my childhood church elementary years. Uh, and then Springdale Church in Louisville, Kentucky during my high school years. So my, my, uh, my upbringing is kind of part Florida, part Louisville, Kentucky, and then I lived in Indiana a few different times too. You know, you bring up a name, and it's been a while since somebody has asked me that question. It's a very good question. Tracy Turner at Springdale Church, and people probably don't know who he is. He's not there anymore. He's moved on to do many other kinds of ministries. Great, great man. Uh, but it was his influence on me during those high school years, and it was very much needed. So we will move on from the period of my life that was 16 to 22, because frankly, I don't really want to talk about it much more because, um, well, it would be embarrassing. It'd just yeah. be embarrassing. So, yeah. <laughs> But I had a lot of good people around me. Uh, so you are not, um, we are depraved. We're born into sin. And by the grace of God, we're saved from that. And and I kind of look at it like this, you know, God, it is God's grace that keeps us from being utterly depraved. We're not always as bad as we can possibly be. But um, it was it was people like Tracy Turner who kept me from being as bad as I could possibly be as a as a, 
as a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Great church, Springdale Church. Uh, great influence on me as a student pastor. Hey, Sam, I don't know if I should call you Sam or Dr. Rayner. Which would you oh, prefer? Oh, please don't call me Dr. Rayner. That's my dad. <laughs> I am a Dr. Rayner. But yeah, Sam's fine. There you go. Hey, so I, I have just a, a quick follow-up question, uh, one that uh, hopefully won't derail our conversation, but uh, just listening to some of your, your recent podcasts with uh, on the Established Church podcast, when did you develop a love for watches and what watch are you wearing today? Oh my goodness. Um, so th- th- we're about to enter in, or I'm about to bore your listeners, okay? There's two things you can ask me about, and my staff at West Bradenton knows this, and the, I think the staff at Church Answers is beginning to understand too. Watches and shoes. So I am, I like both. So I don't know where the whole watch thing came from. It's been years and years and years in the making. I was, I'm just fascinated with engineering and mechanics because it is not my gifting. I'm on the humanity side, the art side. I'm a writer. Uh, so the, the mere idea of like building a bridge or sending someone to the moon and, and, you know, science and math and formulas and engineering and getting people to do that. It's just like, man, that's how, how do they do that? I mean, I can tell you what a squinting modifier is and what a dangling par- participle is and why not, why you shouldn't split your infinitives. But, you know, building something is just, you know, it just blows my mind. So with a watch, a mechanical watch is the most useless thing on the planet, right? I mean, it, we have better ways of telling time now. But for me, it's the engineering behind it. It's this craftsmanship that goes into building these things. Um, and so I'm just absolutely fascinated with that whole world. Uh, so customary wristwatch check. I'm wearing a Zen 856i right now. Um, for those who are watch people, you will know that uh, Zen is a German brand, uh, not Swiss made, but the Germans are right behind the Swiss, if not right with them when it comes to quality watchmaking. Uh, this is what is called a tool watch, uh, and it is made out of tegumented steel, which is uh, submarine grade steel. So there you go. And nobody cares. Well, no, I care. If a torpedo comes toward me, I need you to stick your left hand Pretty out. much scratch proof. The Zen is pretty yeah. much scratch proof. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Sam, you mentioned uh, those those years, 16 to 22. I'm sure then there's some time after that that God called you into ministry. Um, so maybe we could look at that. Yeah, and I don't want to make too much out of uh, rebellious teenage years. Um, I, I really was a pretty good kid and uh, didn't get into too much trouble. But I'm just glad my brothers are not on the show right now because they would, be, they would take the opportunity to tell you all sorts of stories. Um, yeah, it was... Actually, so the calling to ministry really began when I met now my wife, Erin, and I was young. I was like 23 uh, when we met. Uh, we started dating, and it was it was her influence on me where she said, you know, if we're going to date, you're not going to do this, 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 this laundry list of things, because she was a good church-going girl, and just if we're going to date, this is the, these are things you're not going to do. And I said, yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, so I got immediately got out of those things and into things that were more edifying for my soul. And it's really over the course, I was in the corporate world. Um, I was a futures trader. So again, another boring subject. I traded commodities, power, natural gas in the Western markets. 
if you've ever heard of the company Enron, I did a lot of that stuff, but not illegal. So <laughs> I was not doing anything illegal, uh, but it was a wild ride. It was certainly a wild ride through all of that. A lot of travel, a lot of perks and benefits for somebody in their 20s. You know, it was just, it was an interesting world. Let me just say that. Um, but God called me out of that. I, I wanted to stay bivocational. So I started bivocational as a pastor. And I went to this church of six people and didn't have air conditioning. It was two hours, one way to get there. And the hollers of Kentucky, as they say. Now, I'm a city boy, grew up in the cities, grew up in downtowns. So this was a unique experience for me. Um, but thankfully, my wife is a country girl and she could interpret for me when they spoke. So um, I, that way I could understand everything. And there's a lot of stories about Union Bay and Baptist Church, let me tell you. And I loved that place. So my calling at the time when I was in the corporate world was, hey, I'm going to climb this corporate ladder. I'm going to be this business guy. I'm going to make a lot of money. And I'm just going to go to these churches that nobody wants, like these churches of 6, 10, 15 people, revitalize them. Of course, that wasn't even a word back then. Uh, you didn't talk about revitalizing churches. It is a thing now, but you, it was like, go help them. Go serve these churches. Um, so, But then God did call me out of all of that, and he pushed me into full-time ministry. I, I really... I, there was my first full-time church. I turned them down three times because uh, I was like, I don't want to leave my corporate job because um, you know I was getting married at the time and pay cuts and all of that to go to get into church world and no more bonuses like this. You know, this pastors don't get annual bonuses. Like, what, what's you know, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> That's how I buy my cars. Um, so, uh, so I got out of the corporate world. Uh, God called me into full time ministry, and then I circle back around. Now I'm what I call co vocational, where I've chosen to kind of have two vocations: Church Answers, uh, which is the company that I help run, and then uh, my wonderful church that I love, West Bradenton Baptist. Chris has already mentioned it. The Established Church Podcast. Uh, maybe you could share with our listeners what the focus is. Yeah, so we started EST, and that's what we call it. And we realized that EST also has the. And we can, when we started, it was like extra sensories, whatever that is. You know, yeah. we're not aliens. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> but established EST, established church. When we started the podcast, there really wasn't a whole lot of resources, conversations, stuff out there on what it means to lead an established church. Yeah. There's more now, which is great. I mean, we're thankful that more people are talking about this. Uh, but it was all church planting, which we love. And it's awesome. We need more church plants. But there just wasn't, you know, there's 350,000-ish established churches in the United States. Like, who's helping them? So we started EST just to create a conversation for pastors like us. It's like, hey, I started in a church of six people that didn't have air conditioning. They just gotten rid of the outhouse. That's not a joke. Like they literally just gotten rid of the outhouse. This is 2004. And, you know, they when they talked about the throne room, I mean, they they meant the throne room. It was that you know, it, it had a certain connotation. They're very proud of it. You know, indoor plumbing. And so I, me, Micah, and Josh just said Two of my buddies, we're pastoring established churches. Like, we need to talk about this because nobody's talking about it. And so we created the EST.church podcast, and that's where you can find it is EST.church. If you're wondering, how on earth did they get that URL? Well, we just started. We were one of the first ones to start. And uh, it's, uh, it's a conversation around everyday normal pastors leading these churches of, you know, t tend to be smaller in size. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's some big mega church pastor tuning in from somewhere, but our conversations really are around normative sized churches, 
what it what it's like to lead you know we've got leaks in the ceiling and um bathrooms running over and you know cantankerous deacons and you know normal churches uh, yeah. so that's what the est.church podcast is about well, I, I appreciate the description. I know that I've listened a couple of times where I found you is really through Church Answers or uh, Rainer on Leadership. Uh, for many years, I've listened to uh, Dr. Rainer and then Jonathan Howe is kind of that combination that kind of pulled me in. Um, but I'm so thankful for the ministry that that you have at Church Answers. I appreciate that podcast as well, Rainer on Leadership. Uh, it's just so meaningful to to someone who's involved in a more normative sized church um, to have somebody out there just kind of speaking into those issues. And that's, that's who we minister to. We're ministering to those churches that are on what we consider the mid or small size. We've got youth pastors, student ministry workers who are loving on students. They're trying to make it, trying to figure it out. Maybe they're co-vocational or bivocational or volunteer, and they're just doing their best. And so, what I would love for you to share from your perspective, from the things that you've experienced as well as through Church Answers is, how is a poorly conceived and implemented student ministry detrimental to the church? Okay. So we're, obviously this is coming from the negative perspective. Sure. Um, if you don't do student ministry well, I, I mean, <laughs> and you lose the next generation, you've lost your church. Like that's how yeah. critical this is. You know, if if you don't train up and equip your young people, I mean, it's an old adage. It's a bit cliche, even like you're only one generation away from not having a church, but that's true. And I can point to you plenty of churches that literally one generation ago were thriving and they didn't do what they should have done to keep training up and equipping that next generation. And now they're not, I mean, 20, 20 years later. And if you think about even like the, the biggest of the big churches, go back and look at a list from 30, 40, 50 years ago, and almost all of those churches are no longer the churches that are among the largest. So this is a major struggle, not only for smaller churches, but for every church in terms of keeping that next generation at the forefront. And the idea that you need to train up the next generation is so, so critical. And I'll just say this, look at your student. So let's get practical. I don't think anybody's going to disagree with me with what I just said, but let's get very practical. And this is where I think some people might have some toes stepped on, but I don't care because it's not my show and you guys will have to deal with it later. So Look at your worship budget and look at your children's ministry budget. If your worship budget is bigger than your children's ministry budget, you've got a problem in your church. That shouldn't be. Your worship ministry budget should never be bigger than your children's ministry budget. Now, look at what you're dedicating to student ministry. Same issue. Same principle. You know, if we're not investing in the next generation, it's a problem. And the young people don't have a voice. They don't go to these budget meetings. They don't, they don't often vote at business meetings. No, no one's bringing in the 16-year-old or the 4-year-old into a committee meeting and saying, <laughs> you know, we want you to have a voice. Yeah. And that's not a knock against worship ministry because worship ministry is critically important. It's the principle of where is your church investing time and resources. And the 
older gener- the older generation should always be willing to allow for that to happen. And when the older generation does not allow for that investment to happen, you have a very real problem in the church. Um, because the culture among those who are older in the church should be, we are going to sacrifice for the next generation. And when the older generation is clinging to what they want, clinging to their preferences, is when a lot of this kind of comes to a head. And I get it, because, you know, I'm getting older, and, you know, I'm in my 40s now, and I'm listening to the music that the kids are listening to, and I'm like, where's the electric guitars? Come on now. Um, They've taken out all the electric guitars out of the music. And now, now I, I understand. It's like, where's the organ? Where's you know, where's the piano? I, I, I totally get it with with the people who are older than me now. I understand. The world changes, so there's nothing wrong with nostalgia. There's nothing wrong with your preferences. The question is, are they getting in the way of serving the next generation? And if that's the case, you are compromising the mission of God. And we know what Jesus said about that. My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And he overturned the tables. That's you. If you're holding back for yourself, that's you that Jesus is mad at. What did Jesus say to Peter when he got in the way of the mission of God? Jesus, you don't have to die. Get behind me, Satan. That's how important this is. So you may say, well, okay, next generation, I get it. You've got to be willing to sacrifice. If you're older, you've got to be willing to sacrifice for the younger generation. And I understand they're not giving to the church. They don't understand the way things are supposed to be. They, you know, they don't get the sacrifices that you have made and the foundation that you laid and you built that church. You may have literally framed the thing with your bare hands. I understand it. And those are incredible sacrifices. But if you're not willing to let go, you're, you're going to lose the next generation. You've lost your church. Well, again, that yeah, that's that is more of the the negative aspect is if we are looking at student ministry and we're not making a place for it in the budget, if we're not making a place for it mentally, um, then there is a huge problem. So let's let's look at the positive side. If we're looking at a student ministry, um, as you've seen churches, if you as you've seen your own church, what would you say are some markers of a successful student ministry? Completely integrated into the church. So. Students are leading on Sunday morning. They're praying in the worship service. You've got them serving at VBS. They're going on mission trips with other groups. Where I get a little concerned is with the silo effect, where they've got their... Now, understand, our students have a whole floor in our church. We've got three stories. They've got the entire second floor, and we are glad for them to have that second floor. So there's nothing wrong with age-segmented ministries. There's nothing wrong with having your own space. Uh, uh, listen, our seniors and our children are on the first floor because we can't ask our seniors to climb those stairs. It's just not right. We've got to take care of grandma. We've got to take care of grandpa. You know, their talents and gifts and sacrifice built the church. So we give them a lot of the prime rooms on that first floor. Students get the second floor, and then, you know, younger adults take the take the third floor in our church. When When you see student ministry working well is when there's not just the student, the only mission trip the students go on is the student mission trip. The only ministry that students do is just the student ministry stuff. The only interaction they ever have with adults is in their own, their own classrooms, because um, what you're doing is you're actually breeding the next generation of uh, students being driven by their own personal preferences, because you're catering 
you're just perpetuating the problem there. So full integration into the church, that doesn't mean that all classes are mixed of all ages. You can still have age segmented ministry. You can still have your own space. But I want to see students going on mission trips with other groups. I want to see students serving together in the community with adults. I want to see them leading worship on the stage, uh, saying prayers, leading VBS, all those things that everyone else is volunteering and doing, students should be doing as well. When you hit 16 at West Bradenton, you, sh- you should be ready for just about anything. And honestly, you get married at 22, theoretically, 22, 23, 24, you should be, you should be ready to be a deacon. Theoretically, that doesn't always happen, of course, because people mature at different stages. But if you grow up in our church, you get married in our church, you get to your early 20s. If we've done our job, you should be ready to do everything that a 40, 50, 60-year-old's doing in your early 20s. How would you respond to those churches that offer youth worship at almost the, well, at the same time as adult worship? I think it's very unhealthy. Now, you may point to one case and say, here's a church doing this and here's why. And I might go, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Like, okay, I can see why they're doing that. So, I, you know, I don't, a lot of this would be on a case-by-case basis. But if you're talking as a trend, as a general rule, I would say it's extraordinarily unhealthy. We have children's worship up till about, you know, third, fourth grade is when we start telling parents, hey, might want to start transitioning them into the worship service. I know I've got a kindergartner. He's going to be in kindergarten. Dominic, great kid. He ain't ready to be in the worship service. Let me just tell you, nobody wants him to be in the worship service. He's just not ready. Um, he's not even a believer yet. He's the last of my kids to accept Christ. And, you know, he's going into kindergarten. He just hasn't accepted Jesus yet. So he needs a place for him. So, and then, you know, there may be a second or a third grader that just matures a little more slowly and they're just not ready. But yeah, fourth, fifth grade, it's time really to start integrating them into the worship experience um, that is for everyone. If you're doing that with 17-year-olds, that's a real problem. Something is wrong in that church. Something has gone has it's gotten off kilter. It doesn't mean people are sinning and that God isn't working and all that stuff because God can work through it. I'm just saying that's not very healthy. That somebody who's about to be an adult is still being treated as a child and they're not involved with all the other adults in the worship experience. I don't like the idea for students. I think it's fine for younger children. Uh, it makes sense from an age appropriate standpoint. Uh, but if somebody had as a model, like we're going to separate everyone that's up to 18 or even college sometimes. I'm just like, yeah, I don't know that that's the most beneficial thing for the church. Well, Sam, that you mentioned being fully integrated as a a marker of a successful student ministry. Do you have any other things that you might add to that list? Yeah, and if you're wondering where to start, I would just say start with serving, start with mission trips. So let's say you're listening to this and you're going, yeah, we're not there. Like we've got a lot of work to do. Where do I begin? I would say... Start integrating your mission trips. That's a real easy place to build bridges. Mm. Um, So one of our family trips is Belize. We go to Belize. It's an English-speaking country um, for the most part. We work with people that it's a safer international experience for a child or for a student. So we send a lot of our young people on these mission trips to Belize with adults. it's, It's not just a student mission trip. It's a church mission trip. And when you're serving alongside, when you put the 16-year-old and the 86-year-old together, like serving alongside on the mission field, those walls kind of break down. And 
you know, people begin to start to soften up to some of the walls that they they build. I know I'm mixing some metaphors there, but the problems start to go away when you're serving together. We serve 200 homeless people a week as part of one of our ministries. And we send our children and our students and our adults to serve together there. And when you're doing stuff like that together, all of a sudden your musical preferences just aren't quite as important. And the threat of the older generation or the threat of the younger generation kind of goes away when you're doing God's mission together. So I would say that's a start, is just serving together, mission trips together. Obviously, that's going to then play into leadership roles and who can serve and how you're training and discipleship models and all that. But if you're going, yeah, we're just not there, I would say start with mission trips and start with serving and try to integrate there first. That's great. Our audience is made up of the full-time, part-time, bivocational, and volunteer student ministry workers. And so from your perspective, what are some things that we could do better to serve the students and families within our churches? So if you're talking to the guys and girls out there who are loving on students, what would you say to us? <laughs> so you become what you celebrate. To those, of, to those who are listening, thank you. If you're serving in student ministry, if you're serving in children's ministry, if you're if you're serving um, the young people of the church, the next generation of the church, thank you. And th- for those of you pastors who are listening, say thank you on Sunday mornings. I'm assuming most have Sunday morning services. I realize some may- there may be some Saturday night, even Thursday night services. Get up on the stage and champion the ministry. Talk about the successes. When a young person comes to Christ, and if they're willing, get them on the stage and have them talk about, you know, this is what happened. And they may not be the most eloquent. It doesn't matter. You become what you celebrate. And if you're celebrating the next generation being discipled, if you're celebrating the next generation coming to Christ, and every little bit that you can pull that in, you know, all of a sudden, your culture will follow the celebration. And it may take a year or two. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, But I would encourage everyone who is involved in student ministry, one, let me just say thank you uh, for those who are pastors or leading in a church. Make sure that you're saying thank you on a regular basis. The way that you will change the culture of your church is to, to celebrate the things that you want at the forefront on Sunday morning, on the main stage, in, in all of the communication channels of the church. So if all of what you are doing on Sunday morning is making announcements about, you know, groups for older adults. Well, that's great. I mean, I think you should do that too. And if, if you're never talking about the next generation, if you're never celebrating the next generation, well, of course it's going to be out of sight, out of mind for your congregation. So I would say celebrate it. Celebrate the good work that God does. It is very, even simple things like have the kids sing. I'm old school in this way teach, do a children's church, children's choir, get them up there singing on Sunday morning, do a little, you know, two or three songs, and then talk about why children's ministry is so important. We have a student choir, and they rock it out. It is not your robes and hymns, and I love hymns, don't get me wrong, I'm a, we do them, on, I do them at our church, but they get up there, they rock it out. You can get away with so much when the students are doing it, and you can get people to like certain things that maybe they didn't like before because they see the young people really getting involved. Um, So I would just say celebrate the work that your church is already doing, and it will enhance the desire to do more. And then when you sit down at those budget meetings and the the student person's like, I really need X amount of dollars to do this thing, they're going to go, you know what? That's important. 
they've seen the students on Sunday morning. They've seen the children on Sunday morning. So you got to celebrate it. Thank you so much, Sam. Chris, do you have any questions for, for Sam today? We're at the 33-minute mark, Dan. And, I know. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I have a lot of questions. Sam, first, I, I, I just want to say thank you. I mean, this is encouraging to me to, to hear, and I know it's encouraging to many of our listeners. One question that maybe just flows from this that would be helpful as well is in terms of family discipleship. Um, how would you bring that aspect into this conversation? Yeah, it's you've got to start simple. Um, so let's assume that you have a dad and a mom, right? Um, well, actually, let's take a step back and let's assume that one out of three homes in your community is probably a broken home or a single parent home, which is most communities. Some communities, it's half children are being raised in a single parent home. So one, we have to break down all of our assumptions of what the home looks like now. It doesn't look like it did 50 years ago. I think that's a tragedy. I, I think the assault on the family is, uh, and the family unit is something that's just terrible in our culture. Um, we need solid Bible-believing homes with a mom and a dad. That's what you need. But that's not what you have. So you have to you have to work with what you have in the community right now. So mm -hmm. it just is what it is. We can talk about ideals all we want. It doesn't matter. That's not what you have. So let's step back. Let's say, okay, what do our homes actually look like? Um, what 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 is the picture here in the community? And then and then champion um, champion those parents who are doing what they should be doing. And you got to get real simple with them because you know with our dads, uh, one of the things that I did recently is I preached to the fathers in the church and I said, I want all of you to go home tonight. I want you to tell your children that you love them. I want you to hug them. And then I want you to pray with them and then ask them to pray. Now you may go, well, duh, nobody's doing that. These I had people texting me that and I had moms texting me that night saying, I haven't heard my husband tell my kids I love you and hug them. And I've never seen my husband pray with my children. It is, we've got to get back to the basics. I mean, we're like, I've got peers that want to pull out the systematic theology book on everyone. And I'm like, okay, that's great. I mean, that's, that's beneficial. But literally your dads aren't even hugging their children and telling them that they love them and they've never prayed with them, much less read the Bibles together. So we've got to get way back to the basics. Biblical illiteracy is really high. The home is very broken and, and we can bemoan that and we can lament it. And I think we should. But we've got to meet people where they are, and I would say get get back to those basics. Be teaching, particularly your, you know, like I said, I'm old school. You know, the, the dads, man, you got it. You got to get the dads. The moms are doing a little better than the dads right now, and but man, get those dads to hug their children, tell them that they love them, get them reading their Bibles, uh, get them just praying with their kids. It will revolutionize the home. Uh, so it's uh, it's just a case of getting back to the basics. Chris, I think you had one more question for him. I did. You did. You were going <laughs> to ask. You were going to ask Sam what his favorite hot beverage was. Oh, I, I was <laughs> totally lost right there. I'm still. I was. I was. Man, I'm thinking. I got to go tell my dads to hug their kids. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was thinking right there. I was like, man, let's. That's what I got to do. Um, <laughs> he was under conviction. So, that <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, now that we're in a in a laughing matter, yeah, Sam, what's what's your your uh, hot beverage of choice? And if you say anything other than coffee, then we're just going to have to 
Uh, well, that's the obvious answer, right? <laughs> so it, the question is, what kind of coffee? There you go. And I am not a coffee snob at all. I, I love a good cup of coffee. And if someone brings me some artisan crazy bean from wherever, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I have a couple of favorite mugs. Um, I have my Bigfoot mug right here. Nice. Um, and for those of you who can't see it and are listening on the radio, it says, I believe, with the picture of Bigfoot on it. Yeah, I don't believe it. looks like Dan. <laughs> I don't believe in Bigfoot, but people who believe in Bigfoot fascinate me. They're out there in the woods making these calls. And I'm like, but I just want to go on a trip with them and just to, just to, just to be there with them. I have, I know that this this thing doesn't exist, but somebody actually believes in him. Dude, so, it's like, one, it's like can, religious. It is. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. It's so wild. Um, so one, you got to get the right mugs. So I got a few favorite mugs. And then McDonald's coffee. I'm a huge, I like McDonald's coffee. And when I buy it, for home, I drink a lot of it at home. I actually buy, you can buy the McDonald's coffee uh, in the grocery store. So um, yeah. I'm all about a good cup and I'm all about some crazy, you know, coffee from this extra ex- exotic place, all that. But at the end of the day, just a little bit of cream, just a touch of cream or black in, in my favorite mug. And uh, yeah. I'm good to go. That's good. You know, an underrated coffee is uh i believe is the coffee from chick-fil-a chick-fil-a has some pretty good coffee i'm with you there but i am not a huge chick-fil-a fan okay like well, i get it i just don't like fried out chicken. There, please don't unsubscribe now <laughs> I, and i'm not a hater i'm not a hater hear me out my family loves it we go there great great company do they do a lot of good but uh i just the, the fries, I like the fries better than I do the fried chicken. The waffle yeah. fries, I think, are great. Yeah. Well, man, I, I'm a, so, so just to go along with that, Chick-fil-A breakfast is where it's at for me. Uh, it's not my, my food of choice when it comes to any other meal, but the, either the chicken minis or the, the grilled chicken burrito, that's, that's where it's at. Which no, I, I like could do that. Food. Grilled chicken burrito, all about it. All yeah. about it. Well, before I pitch it back to Dan, I, I, let me just make a final comment and just say that um, I feel like we need to have you back on at some point to specifically talk about how to trade in your outhouse for a website. I know how to I do think that. In Arkansas, I think in Arkansas, we have some people who might be stuck in that 2004 model that you mentioned earlier. Um, I've, I, can, I used to have to put my truck in four-wheel drive to go on visitations. That's and awesome. cross creeks <laughs> to yeah. get to homes. I've been, I'm a city boy and I, I am unapologetically a city boy, uh, but I do know that world because I pastored in that world. Yeah. Um, and I still have a four wheel drive vehicle. I like to fish. And, um, you know, if somebody will take me fishing, I'll go on, I'll, I'll, I'll go tell somebody about Jesus on the lake. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. I'm just saying we got our subscribers back right there. Okay. Right there. Okay. Yeah, we okay. did. We did. So, <laughs> hey, Sam, uh, I know we got to wrap up. So let me ask you quick, if if somebody wants to reach out to you, find out more resources, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, churchanswers.com is a great place to go. And we've got all sorts of resources. We have a demographic study. Um, you can see it right there at the top when you go to churchanswers.com. If you're like, how many single moms do I have in my community? Um, how many single parents are there? We actually have a resource that'll tell you that. Um, but we also have a lot of free stuff as well, free podcasts, free articles, free webinars. Um, so just go check us out at churchanswers.com. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Sam. We appreciate you and your ministry. Uh, look forward to maybe having you back again another time as we we talk about some of these things. 
Student pastors, student ministry workers, we love you. We care about you. We know that you're doing some of the hard work. And so just keep it up and remember that student ministry matters. Thanks for listening to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. Get connected at studentministrymatters.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Student Ministry Matters. Until next time, keep up the great work with your students because the work matters.